0: A 9,600-seat ste- stadium, uh, plenty of, of great parking right there on site, uh, easy access right off of one block off of Interstate 45. So we think the facility itself will, will be a great venue for uh, the Division III uh, football championship or the Stack Bowl.
1: You don't tell the pole vaulter uh, that. You know, I really don't want you to practice because the more times you practice, the more opportunities you have to get hurt.
2: We want to be more explosive offensively. We want to eliminate the explosive. We gave up too many explosives defensively. I mean, those are a couple key pieces of concepts for us.
3: It's now time to go around the nation in Division III football.
2: Here are your hosts, Home and
4: Keith McMillan. Well, it's turned out to be a pretty busy April with a couple of big news stories before we even begin to talk about the upcoming NFL Draft. Indeed, in a month where we've already had a lot of discussion about the end-to-two-a-day practices across college football, we then had the surprise that the Stag Bowl will be leaving Salem after 2017. So we have a lot to talk about as I welcome in Keith McMillan for this month's podcast. I know you and I had a bit of a heads up on the Stag Bowl leaving Salem. I guess I was kind of prepared for the men's basketball Final Four to leave, but not both of those marquee championships. Uh, What was your reaction when you found out football was moving on?
3: Certainly surprised because we've seen these cities and others bid for the Stag Bowl before, and we've heard rumblings. But when the bids come in every two to four years, uh, Salem always seemed to win. And it's not like an obvious thing happened that put Salem on the outs. There was no incident or no indication of, of disf- dissatisfaction with Salem. So I think it was a bit of a stunner. but it's also been 25 years since 1993 that Salem's hosted the game and it's reasonable to let someone else have a crack at hosting Division three's premier game. Shenandoah, Texas and Canton, Ohio each have their draws, bigger city or bigger stadium, uh, things to do locally, proximity to fan bases who have recently experienced the national championship in Salem. true. And I think I think you really hit it on the head in the column that you wrote on the site. you know, To take the baton from Salem, these cities really need to remember how seriously Kerry Harvey Cutter and the City of Salem staff took the game and how well Salem and the Roanoke Valley treated the guests. There's certainly a place for the Stag Bowl to go as far as it improving and being a prime event, where playing in it is a big deal to the student athletes and anyone that comes to watch it, not just because there's a championship on the line, but because you feel like it's a first-class experience. I mean, the game can certainly grow so that people who aren't related to one of the schools or players in the game take an interest in it. I think most of the fan base that we see now are probably uh, people who went to one of the schools involved or who have some kind of D3 tie. And I I think there's room for the game to grow in, in that sense. But I think it remains to be seen whether Shenandoah or Canton can even match what Salem did for the game, much less surpass it.
4: We're going to talk about Canton Moore, um, not on this particular podcast. They're not hosting a game until 2020, so there's a little bit of time to catch up with them. And I expect to be in Ohio for opening weekend this season to uh, see that uh, Oshkosh-John Carroll rematch. So hoping maybe I will uh, uh, drive an hour or so down the road to uh, go do a little bit of a walk through there. They're in the midst of uh, refurbishing that stadium. It should be pretty fantastic by the time uh, time comes around to actually host it. Uh, so looking forward to that um but yeah about salem you know this is the only site to host the stag bowl in the lifetime of any current division 3 player let alone the the lifetime of d3football.com it's just going to be a uh, it's going to be a different adjustment for uh if if nothing else you and i and similar people are going to have to adjust to no longer saying road to salem
3: yeah that was almost almost a, a trademarked phrase sort of it was certainly something amongst us where, where we just kind of replaced championship with Salem because every championship really for every sport almost was uh, was in Salem. And, you know, before our time, uh, the site debuted in 1999 and Salem uh, Mount Union made it to Salem the, the first time in 93. So I think there were some natural breaks, I guess is, is the best way to put it. But before our time, the game's been held in Phoenix City, Alabama and Bradenton, Florida and Kings Island, Ohio for A couple of years so, so the Stag Bowl did move around a little bit previously, and it has been played in, in southern locales previously where it wasn't close to the participating schools, where uh the weather may have been a factor in, in choosing the site. But the real important thing is that a city wants to host it, and I think you know we we hear uh from from Greg Smith that Shenandoah really is interested in being the host of this game and, and not just for a couple of years, that this is something they want to do. Um, Across sports and, and across Division three,
4: yeah. So Greg Smith uh, from uh, the city of Shenandoah in Texas is uh, one of the guests on this month's podcast. So he'll talk a little bit about that and uh, you know how they came to be interested in the Stag Bowl and you know what kind of things they think they might do with it. Although again, even for them, it's still um, twenty months out. So there's a lot of time to uh, talk about that and uh, and change those plans as well. Um, we're also going to talk with Larry Kinbaum, the head coach of uh, Washington University in St. Louis, and we'll talk with Kevin Bullis of UW-Whitewater throughout the course of this podcast. One of the other things, of course, coming up in April, we've already briefly mentioned. We touched on it in previous podcasts. Keith is the upcoming NFL draft, or more more, more importantly for Division Three prospects, the, uh, the free agent signing period. Now, Keith, I, I haven't heard a whole lot of names batted around this year. Um, you know, one draft list that I usually consult that's Fairly comprehensive. Had only one D three player on the list out of I think it might have been eight hundred players or so, and I haven't heard a ton of a buzz about uh, too many guys. So I'm kind of wondering if we're just going to have a lighter year for rookie free agent signings this year.
3: Well, sure. There there are a list of uh, of guys who whose names I guess have have been floated between um, between you and I, and sometimes we hear a little bit of buzz. We get asked the question a lot on Twitter, and, and I'll be honest, I'm I'm right there with you. There's certainly no shoe-in draft prospect yeah. a guy who's actually going to get picked on day two or day three you know we may not have any players picked this year um but but you mentioned uh previously uh greenville safety nicholas morrow uh, a couple of guys from from wisconsin whitewater vince mason brandon tamsit brent campbell uh bj mitchell the mountain union running back has gotten a little attention but he's uh he's small even for the d3 level so We'll see if uh, if somebody's willing to take a shot on him as a you know maybe a kicker turner or a slot guy or or a change of pace back. I, I think it's always tough to predict. As much analysis and time goes into analyzing draft prospects, almost all of it goes into guys from the the major conferences or guys who get on the radar early enough to where they're invited to the combine. Mm-hmm. And then and then there's a pool of players who all have I don't want to say like an equal shot at at having a future but there's just a pool of players who could play pro football whether it's NFL or in a different league they just need a shot they need either one team to take a chance on them and, and for a lot of those cases and this is where actually being an undrafted free agent works to benefit a lot of uh, division three players is is a lot of times it's about finding a fit finding a, a first of all some uh, a team that likes what you potentially bring to the table but also a team that's willing to take the time to develop you and uh, and being able to choose where you go rather than being chosen once you get down to, to those day three picks is actually tends to be a, a benefit for d3 players and and every year somebody surprises us you know whether it's someone who is completely on the radar like Wesley's Joe Callahan who um, as we, as you know from listening to future podcasts, listeners, um, you know that that he's he bounced around to a couple of different teams uh, uh, last season, but but still uh, throwing the ball professionally. And then there there are players sometimes that that come out of the blue that we you know we knew as Division Three All American types, but we had no real read on on what their pro prospects were, and and sometimes they catch on. Stay with us over the the draft weekend. Especially as the draft gets from Thursday and Friday into Saturday, a lot of that buzz happens for D3 players um, Saturday evening and and Sunday all the way Probably by Monday almost everybody uh, from, From D3 who's gonna sign as an undrafted free agent signs and then there'll be a wave of rookie camps For a lot of teams where guys will get will will get brought in on a tryout basis and in that case, you know their their chances are pretty slim, but at least they're in a in a pro camp. So you know they, a team may bring in several dozen players uh, just as bodies for this tryout camp, uh, for for rookie camp, along with their uh, you know eight to ten draft picks and their priority free agent signings. Yeah. But every now and again, a couple of those guys will uh, will hang around through the tryout camp, make it onto the ninety man roster, and then from the ninety man roster, you have all summer. To, uh, to try to impress, to get get through training camp and, and make it to the 53 during the season.
4: The one guy that uh, Keith mentioned earlier, Nicholas Morrow, uh, if you want to know more about him and you were a kickoff subscriber from last year, I did a and a with him last August. Uh, to tell us a little bit about his background and, and how he got to Greenville. He's a, a kid who's very talented, and Greenville is uh, this last year was uh, a, a middle-of-the-road team or maybe a slightly above average team in a conference that is traditionally one of the bottom five conferences in Division three. So for him, if he were coming out of Greenville or coming out of the UMAC to make the NFL, that would be a pretty interesting story, and we will continue to track that one. And this seems like a good time to remind you that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is not currently sponsored by anybody, so your brand could be heard right here. Um, this is the time where you know the significant majority of our – Listening base is coaches. If you're looking to reach coaches about the things that are going on during the off season, like you know, selling uh, a new set of headsets, um, you know, athletic directors who are looking to upgrade field turf, people are now making that decision probably for the uh, the spring and summer of 2018. But they those are big decisions that then they spend a lot of money on that, and you can flip them into your brand rather than somebody else's. You know, if you're a marketing guy, you know that that's a that's a significant amount of money and a great lead for your company so if you want to do that this is a place to reach them drop me an email at pat.coleman at d3football.com and we'll talk d3football.com around the nation podcast we're joined by greg smith city administrator for shenandoah texas and his group uh winners of the bid for the amos alonzo stag bowl in 2018 and 2019 so uh first of all greg congratulations and kind of welcome to the division three community
0: Uh, we appreciate very much and we look forward to having a long relationship with the division three football family let me ask, how did you guys
4: become aware of the Amos Alonzo Stag Bowl, of the Division Three football championship, and what made you guys interested in bidding to host it?
0: Well, it's a long history. I'm actually uh, previously an athletic trainer and have been following college athletics since I actually participated in the 1989 Division One A football championship in, uh, at Southern, jo- uh, Southern Georgia. So I've been around uh, football. Um, my whole career in life and uh, the city has some great athletic facilities we are a, a, interested in the athletic and d3 specifically and so we put a bid in for uh the stag bowl actually uh the last round that the NCA went out for the bid championships
4: it, it was what did you learn from the bidding process the last time around that uh, helped you put something together for this one
0: really our our the, the difference between the first bid and the second bid is our relationship that we've learned from with the Division Three athletics. We actually have hosted uh, the Division Three Swimming and Diving Championship 13-15 right. again this year in 17. So uh-huh. uh, we've developed a partnership and a rapport with the Division III uh, championships and wanted to continue that with other sports.
4: Yeah, it, it seemed like, uh, you know, I, I talked to some people who have been to the Swimming Championships uh down in texas a, a couple times uh, it did seem like you guys had, were very focused on trying to get football so it was uh bidding on swimming or showing the uh the ncaa leadership that you could run a, a fairly complicated event a swimming and diving a national championship something that you kind of worked on as a strategy to work up to football
0: well it wasn't a strategy working up to football it was a strategy building the relationship with the ncaa and the Division Three championships. Those are the championships we want to go after. We're not really interested in Division II or Division I. We, want to, we as a city, want to stay focused with the Division Three and give the best experience we can to the student-athletes and our visitors.
4: We definitely want to talk about student-athlete experience because that's something that uh, Salem, Virginia was very good at. Uh, you guys are obviously replacing a, a, a very popular Uh, group in the folks at the City of Salem, but I also want to talk about facilities because uh, the NCAA cited facilities as a reason why uh, a couple of those championships moved. So tell us a little bit about the stadium and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, Wood Forest Bank Stadium uh, is about a 10-year-old facility, and they are going through, just went through some uh, renovations uh, this year. They put down a new playing surface, so uh, first year we have the playing surface will only be three years old, um, as well as they are considering and working through uh, changing out all of the scoreboards and the, the video replay boards to make them a more enhanced environment. So it's a 9,600-seat seat stadium, uh, plenty of, of great parking right there on site, uh, easy access right off of one block off of Interstate 45. So we think the facility itself will, will be a great venue for uh, the Division Three uh, football championship or the Stag Bowl. Uh, you said
4: big parking lot. I immediately thought about tailgating because there's a, a big uh, tailgating uh, tradition, especially at the uh, at the at the Stag Bowl. What do you envision for uh, what might be done for uh, pre gaming in the parking lot?
0: Yeah, we will make some pre game activities available. There's no doubt we want to uh, in- engage the fan base uh, for the Stag Bowl, both local and the visitors coming in. So. Final plans haven't been laid out, but we will certainly have activities for uh, the fans uh, when they get here. Sure.
4: You obviously, you guys are uh, in the northern suburbs of Houston, Texas. Uh, If you look back at, you know, the teams that have made the Stag Bowl over the course of the last 15 years – Seemingly 95% of the time, it's been Mount Union from, uh, you know, east and central Ohio, uh, Wisconsin Whitewater from southeastern uh, Wisconsin, you know, and not a lot of teams in your area that have uh, that have made the trip. So in that situation where you might have two teams coming from pretty far afield to, uh, to to play in this event, how do you think you might be able to engage the local fan base and still fill that 9,600
0: seats? Well, I mean, Texas is known for its football. And, and Shenandoah in the North Houston uh, is right there. Uh, Mary Harden Baylor, uh, right down the road from us, is the defending national champion. Uh, we think we will continue to try to attract that fan base. Uh, there are other Division Three schools in the greater Texas area, so we want to engage those. But football is king in Texas. Uh, we feel there will be a lot of great college uh, potential student-athletes uh, that will come. Uh, Katie is a suburb of Houston's, played in the state championship multiple times. Our local team, the Woodlands High School, which actually plays in this stadium, played in the, in the state championship game this year. Uh, so we do have a great football following. Football is, is a great sport in the state of Texas, and we're going to build off of that uh, and show anybody that may come in from other regions uh, that we know how to do football in Texas.
4: You guys have, uh, obviously, more than a year before the the game takes place, the first of your two games. What are some of the things that are kind of generally on your planning timeline between now and then?
0: Well, we will uh, be working with the committee uh, and starting to uh, set up visits with the committee to make sure we have everything in place. We will start putting together our final plan of what we want to do for fan engagement, as well as I plan on, at least with one other staff member, going to Uh, Salem uh, in December and see how they do it. Learn what they do right. Uh, Get the firsthand knowledge and the experience from Salem because they have been a great host for this championship for 25 years. And we want to learn from what they've done right and also take ideas from them of how we can improve it. So the engagement of what's going to happen has already started. I've already been in contact with the University of Mary Harden Baylor this week by phone and we're starting to have meetings as early as this fall, which will be a full 14 months before the championship comes.
4: And, and let me ask, as a, as a fan, if I'm coming into the game, what are the other things that uh, you think I might be interested in doing in the area other than uh, the stuff around the football event?
0: Well, this is a great area. We've got the Woodlands Waterway right next door. There's uh, great shopping. We've got a great sports history uh, in the Houston area. Houston Texans are obviously... Uh, A proud uh, venue that we have right here. So, we're hoping that people that come into the football championship will take advantage of the entire Houston area. Yes, we're a suburb of Houston, but you're coming into Houston. We want people to experience where the Super Bowl has been, uh, where NASA is. Hosting the swimming and diving championship, we've actually had people come into the swimming and diving championship and then go to Galveston, Texas and take a cruise out of the port of Galveston. So, while Shenandoah is a northern suburb of Houston, we want this to be an entire regional approach to the game, and we hope people take advantage of the arts, the history, the sports, uh, everything dealing with the greater Houston area.
4: Yeah, Traditionally, this event and a lot of the – the marquee i guess division 3 championships have been held in smaller cities where you know they can make a significant amount of noise in in terms of presence in the local media and you know just being in people's consciousness houston obviously is a major market a top 5 media market do you expect to be able to you know draw and make some noise in the, in this area
0: absolutely uh, i think anytime you bring the nca championships to your area that's noise in itself nca has one of the most recognizable Logos and his brands in America. So keying off of that, I think we will get the media coverage and be able to make a loud splash or a lot of noise uh, for the Division Three uh, championships, as well as the the two teams that are fortunate enough to make it to the game. We want to also promote their institutions. Part of what Shenandoah wants to do is also incorporate the education piece of the universities that are Division Three athletes and get the local student at students involved with those universities at this event
4: keith i'm definitely looking forward to seeing what this championship could turn into but at the same time i have some doubts about just whether the general texas football fan cares at all about division three athletics uh, i've seen it previously multiple cities in texas where i've been at a high school game that draws great crowds on friday night and a d3 game in the same town the following day is lucky to draw 20 percent of that I could see the newness of the event in Texas could overcome that for a couple of years. But I don't know if Texas loves football is a model that sustains the championship. I mean, how many times, Keith, have we talked with coaches about the Division three brand in Texas and in the South and it just not being something that's on anybody's radar?
3: A lot, I guess. But that's this is part of now what Shenandoah's job is, not just to get the Stag Bowl and to put on a great event, but also to get the word out and to market it. And um, you know, perhaps having the the Houston regional tourism apparatus—I don't know exactly who's working for them—and um, the but you know, maybe maybe that's the type of thing that that could put it on some other fans' radars. But I still think uh, a lot of our our fans are, have some kind of connection to D three, so that's a big bridge to uh to to get fans to to cross to take some kind of chance on this game where they don't know the players that well they don't know them intimately and uh and they may not know the schools all that well either you know there's sort of a a, an education gap where where we do our part to educate fans but everyone who comes to us is interested in d3 for the most part for one reason or another the only real counter to your to your main point about whether uh, Texas loves football, whether that model can can sustain the championship, is that for us as D3 fans, you know, flights into Houston are probably going to be easier to get even on short notice than they were into Roanoke, Greensboro, and uh, and then Charlotte, where you could, you know, drive a couple hours uh, into Salem. Uh, It's always going to be a tough time of year for fans to travel with Christmas parties, family holiday events, and, and students being off campus, all conspiring to keep uh, playoff crowds small and, and then the vast majority of course Of, of the nearly 250 Division 3 Football playing schools are based in the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic or upper Midwest so fan buses Will run to uh, to Shenandoah I'm sure people will fly in But overall I think you're right that Geographically this is going to be a real stretch And and maybe Houston The city of and the, and the Texas weather In December helps sell it After it's no longer a novelty
4: Yeah uh, you know if If you're a Mount Union fan thinking about traveling, and honestly, can't we just basically pencil them in for the next three stag bowls after uh, what they did with a very young team this season? Um, It's a 19-hour drive from Alliance, Ohio 18 hours from Oshkosh 17 from Whitewater 17-hour drive from St. Thomas And and other than Mary Harden Baylor That's everyone who's played in the last 12 stag bowls That's kind of what I'm worried about Yeah, there will be more flights Definitely a ton more flights going into Houston But last-minute flights aren't going to be so much cheaper Six days notice going to Houston Versus six-day notice going to anywhere else Just for the record I
3: pencil no one in for future stag bowls Keep all options open
4: (laughs) I even even if I back out to the teams that played in the national semifinals over that, uh, the course of that time, right? That there's uh, I think four appearances for Mary Hart and Baylor. And again, nobody else just because there's nobody else within there's only like a handful of schools even within driving distance. of Now, that's not our problem to worry about. That's the NCAA's budget. But I'm just kind of I, I find that kind of interesting. Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Larry Kinbaum, the head coach at Washington University in St. Louis, whose team is about to embark on a a pretty interesting 2017 season in and of itself. But uh, Coach Kinbaum, as chair of the Division Three Coaches Committee of the uh, American Football Coaches Association has been one of the people leading and uh, helping moderate the discussion around the recent changes in practices that are coming to the uh, 27 preseason. Uh, Coach, uh, first of all, thanks for joining us.
1: Oh, Thank you for having me, Pat. Uh, I appreciate the, uh, the time.
4: Coach, you brought to uh, our attention uh, a couple of weeks ago your take on where you stand in terms of the two-a-day practices and, you know, your your thoughts on how practice time needs to not be limited. It needs to be more about teaching. And uh, we've gotten a significant amount of readership on that on the website and some response. But in the interim since then, you were uh, part of a meeting with a bunch of Division Three coaches around this very subject. And I was just wondering if uh, you could kind of walk us through some of the things that people talked about, what you were hearing, what other coaches are, uh, are thinking, and, and, you know, where things might go from here.
1: Sure, Pat. Uh, again, I appreciate uh, your, your having me on here. Uh, I, I always begin by saying, you know, I, I have an opinion um, that I can't say that it, it represents every coach in the country although uh, when I expressed the opinion, uh, actually using your, your resource there, uh, e3football.com, that I've had a tremendous uh, response of support from other Division III coaches. Um, but it really comes down to uh, when the NCAA had gone through receiving the recommendations from the medical group that it works with, and then there were other administrators and supporters in there, no, no Division III coaches were, were really part of this Uh the, the recommendations were along the lines of let's get rid of uh, that second practice every day for health issues, for health reasons, and uh, and based on data drawn from all the research that has been done with the focal point being that the more practice you should have, the more injuries you're going to have, and the more equipment that you wear in those practices, so full gear or just helmets and shells or just helmets who are not wearing any gear at all also has a, uh, you know, a direct uh, uh, correlation with the number of injuries. And um, so the decision, I think, and it was made in, in great spirits, as a, it, the decision was made as a recommendation, by the way, not as a, as a rule or a legislative act, that, that we should cut out that second practice Uh, because that's more practices, and the players are a little bit tired, and if we can eliminate those two, maybe we can cut down on the number of injuries. Uh, I looked at that, and I thought that would make sense, right? No practices would mean no injuries. I guess that would make sense as well. But maybe we could wrap our hands around this thing in a much different way, and that we as coaches are professionals. And our feeling is we need that opportunity, especially – in the light of, of all the information we have been receiving from the medical profession and the, and the health institutions and the trainers, that we need to do a better job in teaching tackling and teaching blocking. And we need opportunities to teach so that our players get enough repetitions through drill that when they actually step onto the field of play, that they are going to be more prepared and equipped to do things properly. So they need to master these skills. So we have this, this, interesting thing we got like we want to cut back and, and reduce injuries but we also know that we need that time to teach these these young people to play the game how to block and tackle the appropriate way so that we can reduce injury so that was what led to where we are today
4: and so you have had opportunities since then and, and since our discussion and, and since your piece to talk with uh, other coaches and what kind of other feedback were you hearing what was uh, you know what might come out of
1: it? Well, first of all, uh, we, we never we, we haven't had an ASCA meeting yet. Uh, I have been talking to coaches who, who read the letter that, that I had sent, not just to you, but I sent one to every head coach in the country, and asked them to share that with their assistants. and basically, uh, talked along the lines of, of, you know, our being professionals. And that was very important. Um, just as those doctors are professionals in what they do, we're professionals in what we do. And we got to take that very seriously. And then secondly, um, that we need to be spending our time talking about safety, not talking about cutting back, but talking about safety. How can we promote that safety to other people to realize that that's that's what we're going to do. So I did talk with the management council. I talked with the representative on the management council, Jeff Myers, uh, and told Jeff that I, my conversation wasn't to complain about what has just occurred. Um, and the feeling is because the medical community recommends this, the presidents are certainly going to accept it because you really don't want to go against the medical community. And, and I appreciate that. Again, those, those people are professionals. They take very seriously what they do. They've studied the data. Um, in the same light, I think the data that they studied came out really along the lines of, you know, the, the, the injuries per practice, that kind of a thing. And, and I think at that point, we, as coaches need to take that information. That's what their expertise is in, in discerning that information. And then, you know, what their recommendation is, you know, for better health, um, we need to do a better job, things that we're doing that we need to take that to the next step. So my conversation with the management council was just that, that, you know, let us as professionals say, okay, we, we know what the situation is. When we learned the situations dealing with, uh, heat stroke and, and, uh, temperature and wet bulbs and all the different things we went through 15 years ago, um, we, as coaches had to say, okay, I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. And it's 100 degrees, uh, 87 uh, percent humidity. Um, That's going to give me a reading on the wet bulb. That's going to tell me whether or not I can and can't practice. And and then I, as a coach, then have to discern. Even though it tells me I can do that, what can I do? The the NCAA rule says you're allowed to practice up to three hours. Uh, As a professional, I have to look at that situation and say, well, I can't practice three hours. Those kids are. Uh, who knows what's going to happen to them, right? I mean, you're right. not going to last three hours with equipment on. Yeah. Uh, so w- w- I understand what the rule is, the rule uh, being stated. As a professional, I have to react within that rule. And so we, as coaches, have had to do that all over the country. It's different in Minnesota than it is in Texas. The next day we went through sickle cell, and we've gone through that as coaches. Now we're going through what we call a concussion phase. and. And we're really kind of on the, the back end of that. It, it isn't that concussions aren't still as important, but I think the, the information and the knowledge of what happens when somebody gets hit in the head, that information is out there right now. Coaches know that. We've been going to clinics. We've been going to symposiums. And, and um, you know, we talk with each other. We visit other colleges. What are you doing in these regards? Because we're professionals. That's what we do. how can we be better at teaching? And my conversation with the management council is let us make some of these decisions. What we're doing is we're cutting back practices and we're, what we're really doing is cutting back opportunities to be able to teach our kids how to tackle. And there's a point where do you have enough of those opportunities? That that was the way that conversation went. What can we do from here? Again, I don't want to complain about our having or not having those abilities right now. That's not the important thing. The important thing is you're passing these things. What can we be doing right now that are going to make us better in what we do? And in the process, through the through the professionalism and the knowledge that we have as experienced coaches, to be able to, to say, no, we, we might need more practices than what you're giving us mm-hmm. with pads on, yeah. to be able to teach what you're so afraid of, uh, you know, your standpoint, having the injuries, but we need to teach safety to reduce those injuries.
4: One of the things that has come to the table a couple times in the last couple years at Division three level at the NCA convention and has has failed each time is uh, an initiative or legislation to get helmets and pads at spring practice? Does it seem like this might be an opportunity for schools to have some of those practice opportunities restored and yet not have to bring in kids early for uh, for preseason camp and incur a large expense?
1: I, I think that, that there, there certainly is. And and because, it, again, we're, we're professionals, I think we have to look at helmets and shoulder pads in the spring much differently than I, I believe uh, is the appearance on the outside. Some people really believe that we're asking that so we can line up and go uh, 11 on 11 and scrimmage, and then that's going to create more injuries. And, yep. and I certainly understand that, but, mm-hmm. but that's not why we need that time. We need that time in the spring in a confined quarters to be able to have one man with another man and going through the tackling process. And where it's under control, where we're showing people not only how to hit but also how to be hit. That's part of the game of football. And that's part of our job as as coaches to be able to get that taught. And again, in, in a confined way so that when they do get into that scrimmage situation, when there are more than just two people there, now there's 22 people out there, that they have some reflex to be able to come back to between muscle memory and just the mastering of a technique of how to tackle somebody without using your head. So it's easy on the outside to look at tackling and say, don't use your head. That's a technique, that's a a skill that you have to get through thousands and thousands and thousands of repetitions in a confined way so that you can do it successfully. And, And the comparison that I made, Pat, was to the pole vaulter. You don't tell the pole vaulter... Uh, that, you know, I really don't want you to practice because the more times you practice, the more opportunities you have to get hurt. Right. You take them through all the different parts of the progression of how do you get to the point where you can go over a, a bar that's 12 feet high and be able to successfully land on a pit. And you do that through the mastery of techniques. I, I coached with a guy named Woody Hayes years and years ago, and Woody would say in the meeting every day, It takes 10,000 repetitions for somebody to master a technique. And he would relate that to uh, musicians, for a piano player, you know, the the practice, the number of times you have to do something. And it was based on uh, what people felt were facts through their research uh, in different areas, shooting free throws, doing all different kinds of things, things outside of sports. And Woody would always say, it takes 10,000 repetitions. Do not ever do anything on a football field that you're not willing to spend 10,000 repetitions on. Well, I don't know if the number's right, but I know that the concept has always stayed with me. And I want someone to do something which I think is somewhat unnatural, right? I think to learn to teach somebody how to tackle, I'm sorry, to, to actually tackle in and of itself isn't a natural thing. You have to teach that person how to go about that. So, to me, spring football becomes, I think, a much different conversation if, if we as coaches also look at it differently. We're not looking at spring football to be able to line 11 and 11 people up. So, right now, we have rules, for example, that we don't have more than, than uh, two shields being used at the same time in a drill so that, that we don't get into 11-on-11 11 11 hitting situations with basically football with, uh, with people holding these shields out in front of them, we can find that. And I think there's a way that we can come to some agreement that in the spring that we could use a helmet and, and shoulder pads and teach tackling and to teach blocking in a confined manner where, where our players can be mentored in those skill-developing techniques.
4: You'll note we didn't talk with Larry Kinbaum about actual WashU football at all, and that was kind of by design. Uh, Neither of us wanted to detract from the time available to talk about practice time. So we'll catch up about the Bears' interesting season coming up this year at a later date. And I know, uh, Keith, you and I have talked about practice time in a previous podcast as well, but I'm interested in your take on his take between what he said here and what he wrote on the website a couple weeks ago.
3: I don't think there's a whole lot to add to what he said. I thought he was very articulate and, and made what's a pretty clear, although conceptual, point that cutting back practices takes away opportunities to get injured, but it also takes away teaching opportunities to teach players to play the game more safely. I thought his, uh, his most effective points were trying to get everyone to focus on this as a safety issue and not go around complaining about a loss of practice time that basically, you know, if, if you sell this correctly— that practice time may come back in one form or another. You talked about the spring; uh, you may be able to recoup some of that practice time and be able to use it because you're a professional football coach whose job is to teach players to play the game correctly. Um, you may be able to use it to, to to teach college kids to play the game more safely. And I thought he made a great point about the freshman coming in; you know, could use those extra extra practices. And I thought the the real the, the best point he made was was uh, the analogy about the pole vaulter where Every time a pole vaulter pole vaults, it's a it's another opportunity to get injured. But you, you would never look at one of them and say the more practice they have, the worse off they are.
4: I told right. this to coach Kimbaum, and I have said it to a couple of other coaches uh, in one-on-one conversations but I'll say this to the Division 3 community at large we at d3football.com stand ready to help uh, if any of this uh, to help facilitate this conversation if necessary uh, you know to help uh, gather ideas and funnel them to the right people so that uh, people can uh, you know make uh legislation for the upcoming NCA convention in January to affect the 2018 season or I guess the uh, the 2018 preseason and the 2017-18 off as well. Um you know, we we have contact information for lots of people, we know how to put surveys together, stuff like that. We're definitely interested in participating in this conversation.
3: You know, and just as an aside, um f- this is really a moment for all the old guys who played football back when there were two a days sometimes three a days you used to have a, a hitting practice in the morning maybe like a special team session in the afternoon and then another hitting practice like right around when the sun went down you never want to have that hard practice when the sun is is at the peak but for the old guys man you r- really can 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 now you have something to, to sink your teeth into when you say these kids are soft today. They are You know they they didn't play like they used to play in my day. We used to have two a days. We used to have two a days and then three a days and then two a days. You know there's there's uh this whole moment I think for us is uh, is is really a big change in the game, but probably um, long overdue. Especially when you hear larry talk about how it's not even new anymore to coaches that coaches have been educated on concussion prevention and uh in ways to, to teach um players how to tackle better so they can put themselves less at risk for being injured in the game
4: now on the d3football.com around the nation podcast we're joined by kevin bullis the head coach of uw whitewater uh, his team coming off a season in which Well, I'm not going to characterize the season. I'm just going to go ahead and ask uh, Coach directly, Coach, if you had, uh, you know, one or two words to characterize the 2016 football season for you guys, how would you characterize it?
2: Boy, you're making it tough on me, Pat. Two words, um, I would say, um, pleased but not satisfied. So I gave you three. And now I'm giving you uh, plenty of
4: time to go ahead and expand on that to tell us how you were pleased but not satisfied.
2: Well, I mean, we were pleased with the, the development of a team. I mean, you're always looking at from week to week, day to day improvements in, in execution and in technique and play and how we do things and function as a program. Felt very good about our continued development, uh, being really our second year as a staff together. And um, because obviously two years ago, um, when Lance Leifold and, and Brian Borland and, and the other staff members left here, And when I got the head coaching job, I had to really fill all those vacancies. And and so I think the second year, you really see significant improvement, and and we did, um, and feel very good about that. And and obviously, uh, coming away with 12 victories, you're feeling great about it uh, in the sense of, of that at that point. But then losing that 13th game, um, yeah, there's no doubt, um, was a disappointment for us, a very good John Carroll team. I mean, i, I got to give Coach Arth and his staff and, and that program, uh, uh, you know, uh, congratulations. But um, obviously for us, just not satisfied um, with um, where we wanted to finish the season. And, uh, and so I guess that's really where that phrase comes in. Again, pleased with our development during the course of the season, just not uh, satisfied with how we finished it.
4: Yeah, you guys are one of the few programs where, uh, you know, 12 wins, playing 13 games, getting into the national quarterfinals and not getting beyond that is probably considered a disappointment to a lot of people.
2: It is, but, you know, again, that, that to me is what makes one of the things that makes this play special, and it's it great to be a part of high standards. It really is in, in, in any profession any place, any company, any business, um, any organization, uh, to be a part of a place, I mean, it's really an honor. It really is an honor, and embrace that. And, that. and that, to me, is the exciting thing about being a part of Whitewater, is embracing that expectation of ourselves and others. I mean, that's, that, to me, is, is an amazing, um, amazing thing, an amazing accomplishment and history of, of what's been accomplished here.
4: What sort of improvements did you expect to see or hope to see here, not only through the spring, uh, through the players' uh, offseason self-contained workouts, that sort of thing, to get you guys ready for 2017 to kind of get back to that standard or the high bar that's been set at Whitewater?
2: You bet it. You know, and it really is. um, However, the previous season ends. To me, it's all about um, when the when the kids come back to school in, in January to start off the spring semester, those seniors from the uh, 2016 season are not there anymore. And um, to me, it, it really starts as a rebuilding process for your team. And, and that starts in January. Because those seniors are gone, it, it really does. It's a different team. It's a different team um, going into that next year no matter what because when you lose – That type of senior leadership that that, that we've had in the past, and we had this past year, it changes the the dynamic of that team. Different leaders stepping up, different people leading in different ways, and and fostering that. And that that to me is really the key piece here this spring is continuing to develop that um, that leadership, and and for those seniors and juniors that we have that are going to be seniors and juniors, excuse me, for next year. For them establish their team chemistry to establish how they're going to work together as a group and and that's the one thing at division three we as football coaches are, are not in the weight room the strength coach is in the weight room and and he has a big piece in in fostering and developing that leadership for the young men during the offseason now once we get into our you know the NCAA allows us to practice in the spring here and in, in April and now we're back together with those kids and with our players and be able to now continue to build that leadership piece. Um, is there things that we want to do better as a, as a team, not a question. You know, we, we analyzed how we did last year in every aspect of the game. Um, you know, we want to be more explosive offensively. We want to eliminate explosives. We gave up too many explosives defensively. I mean, those are a couple key pieces or concepts for us. And, uh, those are you know, so it's it's the leadership piece, but it's also the um, the solving, correcting, making better the 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 schematics and the techniques of what we do from day to day on the football field. so yeah, what you described,
4: made me think about what is January and February like for a for a coaching staff? How much of that time are you spending then taking down, breaking down, analyzing film? Because you're caught up in the week-to-week rush of everything during the course of the season and not really thinking about big picture for maybe even 2016, let alone big picture for 2017. So what's that process like when you finally have a little bit of uh, bandwidth to breathe and think about it?
2: Well, and that's, and that's the funny thing is, is because there's really not a lot of time to breathe, Pat, um, because, you know, January, recruiting is a year-round process, so not a question. We all know that. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that definitely, um, recruiting is a key piece year-round. Really, January and February um, is really when now you're finalizing the deal. Young men are finalizing their decisions. Um, so you're really focused in on that piece, on, cl- on, on getting those, um, getting your recruiting class ready for the next year. So for us, the 2017 recruiting class really takes a lion's share of your time. But, yes, as, a, as an offensive staff, as a defensive staff, as a special team staff, our coordinators um, and, and lead coaches are breaking down their individual positions. They're breaking down the defense individually, then they come together and work collectively. Um, so it's, it's, you know, you, a lot of times I think people think January, February is, is we get to put our feet up on the desk and relax. Um, no, it's just a new version of the grind. It, it really is. It's that time of the year where you're balancing the recruiting um, and you're balancing the breakdown and the analysis of what we did the previous year and what we need to work on now. You talked about what the team looks
4: like, what the remaining team looks like, the returning players for 2017, and not having an opportunity, I'm sure, to particularly observe off-season workouts personally, but what's your take on uh, you know, how this new upcoming senior class and upcoming junior class is going about business? Does it seem like it's uh, more intense than last year? Is there more of a sense of urgency considering the way the last couple of years have gone?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, as much as anything, the, those, those seniors, I mean, they, they are those seniors and juniors, and, and uh, those seniors and juniors, again, were not satisfied. And so there is a sense of um, urgency and to, to not lose an opportunity. So whether it's, you know, being in the weight room that day with our strength coach and on the bench press or on the squat rack or doing cleans or whatever they may be doing, or whether it's speed development, and um, those guys understand, those upperclassmen, they understand the hard work that it takes, and, and there's no doubt. They weren't satisfied with that last season. And, and like I said to the guys, you know, don't hang your head low. Goodness gracious, you guys, you know, won 12 games. But it's great that we're not satisfied because that's the fuel for the fire, um, you know, really going into now this 2017 season. And um, and so feel very good about it. I mean, um, from you know, from what we hear from our strength coach and and things that the guys are working their tails off, and and uh, guys are stepping forward as leadership and building that team culture of the 2017 season, and that that's key. I mean, and you you see all those quotes, you see all those quotes, and they, and they really are true. It's just not. Um, Coach has thrown out key phrases culture is more important than schematics and, and that really right now those seeds are, are blo those seeds are blossoming. Does that make sense? They've been planted in the past and now those juniors and seniors that this is starting to blossom for those those young men and every day is an opportunity to build on that. And we feel very good about where we're at um, you know um, this time of the year coming into our spring practices
4: a little more granular a little more nitty-gritty about this season one of the things that's uh, always been a challenge for whitewater ever since you know starting this run of uh, stag Bowl and deep playoff runs is just filling a schedule filling uh, three non-conference games this time for this year for the first time in a while you guys have uh, three division three opponents on the schedule how, how first of all how did that come about and secondly does it and was it a little bit of a relief to have all of that locked up so early in the offseason
2: you know it really is. Um, it really is. I mean, that's um, and, and three very good teams. I mean, goodness gracious! Illinois, Wesleyan, um, Wash U, uh, Concordia, Moorhead. I mean, it, it, it's going to be some great, um, great football games and and great preparation for our conference season. And you're right, it is. It's always a battle. It's a battle for everybody. Um, and 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 obviously, with our tradition of successes, that adds on to
4: yeah.
2: the the. Um, uh, it makes it harder, I guess, and sure. um, easily put to find games. So I mean that's uh, if you got anybody out there looking for games in uh, eighteen nineteen, boy, I'm excited to talk to them because that's um, we're always trying to work a year ahead um, and and uh, we feel very good about the, the opponents that we have this coming spring or coming fall, excuse me.
4: Um, One of the things, uh, and I mentioned it in last month's podcast with one of our coaches, but uh, one of the things that the media and the fans always like to talk about are the quarterback situation. And in this case, what I want to talk more about for Whitewater is defensive backs, where you guys had, uh, again, uh, as I think – Many times recently, a significant number of seniors back in the uh, in the secondary: Colin Buck, Vince Mason, Bennett Young, particularly this time around. But it seems like this is a position where you guys consistently reload without skipping a beat. In, a, in addition to Famous Hasty, who's one of the great names in Division Three football right now, who else is uh, looks ready to step into a bigger role for you guys?
2: No doubt, and that's and that's the thing with Famous. I mean, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing. Um Last year, he kind of he kind of managed a couple of injuries, and, and that's that's football, college, NFL. People managing injuries, and he missed a couple games due to him. Um, you know, he's going to have to take a key leadership role for us back there, as well as Bailey Brunig, and, and he's another young man that got a lot of game time this past year. So I mean, those are going to be our really our two veterans. The nice thing is, you have a veteran at a corner, you have a veteran at safety, or returning game experience uh, at those two positions. Those two are going to be very important leaders for us um, this spring and, and have been um, in the weight room. They need to be in the weight room as well and, and going into the fall. So no doubt um, those two are going to have to be key pieces for us. Um, and, and the nice thing is they're both juniors, um, and so we, we got those young men coming back for the next couple of years.
4: This is a time of year where we're also very focused on the upcoming NFL draft and uh, rookie free agent signing period. Uh, it's a time where kids are, are looking to get exposure and you know trying to get their their information in front of scouts and in front of uh, personnel management groups. You guys hosted a pro day at Whitewater back in March. You know, tell us a little bit about it.
2: Yeah, you know, a couple of years ago, Pat, um, we had some of our players uh, that were seniors, obviously that had completed their. Uh, uh, four years of playing for us, and and they'd asked about getting into some of the combines and those types of things. And it's really an invite thing, you know. Those combines that people see on TV, that's an invite. Uh, that's an invite that a person gets. So it's really tough for the Division III athlete to get the exposure um, uh, that they need if they they want to pursue you know pursue football afterwards. And it's and it's not just the NFL. It's it's arena. It's Canadian football. I mean, there's other options out there for a young man to be able to continue to play the game they love. Mm -hmm. And um, so a couple years ago, uh, we said, you know what, we can do that. We can get our cameras out. Um, We can do some videotape of of them moving around on the field through some drills. We can um, get some timers in and, and do some timing of them for a drill, do a typical pro day um and just kind of by happenstance we sent out an email to the coaches in our conference and in, in the, the state of wisconsin letting them know we were doing it and it was an open invitation to coaches to send uh, any of their division three athletes down and and they did and and so this past year was our third year of doing it and uh, it was just again a great opportunity for a young man to get that hard data down on a resume for themselves to be able to get the video for them. And we send them the video, we send them the data, and then now they can send that out, um, whether it's the scouts, whether it's the teams that are out there that uh, show interest or they're trying to draw their interest. So, again, just an opportunity for the D3 athletes of Wisconsin to be able to showcase what they can do.
4: Yeah, because once upon a time it seemed like the the best players in the WIAC, a handful of guys might get an opportunity to participate in the pro day at Madison, but not too many beyond that. It seems like you guys are kind of taking on that role of being the magnet for other kids to, uh, for other kids to come to you guys and get that information.
2: No doubt. And that's, um, and that's, you know, to me, it's, it's, uh, for a young man, they get done playing, and they have a passion to play the game and continue to do it. Again, you know, I think a lot of people just assume it's the NFL. No, there's other opportunities. They can go over to Europe mm-hmm. and and play the game. And and so I mean, for an opportunity for them to basically put a football portfolio together and be able to send that information off and and see where that takes them and see where it doesn't take them. For some young men, they will continue on. For other young men, they won't, and and but at least they know from their for themselves they gave it a shot, and like I said, for us it's it's just an, we feel obligated to be able to offer that up to them. Uh,
4: before we wrap up, I have to ask you about one of the great controversies of Division Three that's uh, been a conversation for a long time. So, is it Wyack or WIAC?
2: That's a great question, because I hear people in our conference say both. So I've always said WIAC, but uh, I, I don't go by me. I'm by no means the, uh, you better check with Gary Carner, the commissioner of the uh, WIAC. <laughs> and saying WIAC is the
4: perfect workaround for all of those things. Yes, exactly.
2: You, you, you notice how I got myself out of that.
4: Well done. Keith, this is an interview held back from last month. So we didn't talk about Salem and all. But then again, I'll repeat something I've said previously that uh, Whitewater is in danger of not even being in the Stag Bowl conversation anymore. Uh, pleased but not satisfied was how Coach Bullis put it at the beginning of the conversation. And I- I'm guessing a lot of Whitewater fans weren't even pleased.
3: A lot of Whitewater fans weren't pleased when Lance Leipold got the job before Kevin Bullis, and that worked out better than anyone could have reasonably expected. And for Coach Bullis, I think following in those footsteps is about as tough as it gets. After nine stag bowls and six championships in 10 seasons, including the first two appearances under Bob Erezowicz, he's at one of the two places in the country where consecutive deep playoff runs is just not good enough. And there are certainly a lot of benefits to being at a place with such a tradition of recent success. Uh, Coach Bullis has been at Wisconsin River Falls, so he knows what it feels like to be on the other side, too. But I think two things. One, that each time a, a Whitewater or a Mountain Union loses in the postseason, it reminds us how hard it is to get through a five-week playoff, you know, and, and that nothing is really preordained. I, th- I think you can maybe add St. Thomas to that group now, but um, and then also, those championship trophies and those stag bowl appearances, they never vanish. So each recruit who comes through Perkins Stadium or who visits Alliance Ohio, they see that. And for some, that is going to be a huge part of the appeal. I, I remember uh, when I was a senior in, in high school, my team was 2-7 and seven our senior year. And I, could, I, just, I knew I wanted to go somewhere with a winning tradition because I was tired of it. So I think there will always be an opportunity to recruit good classes for, uh, for Whitewater and Mountain Union as long as those championships are on display in the football buildings. Uh, and there will always be an opportunity to get back to the Stag Bowl. And, and let's not forget that that uh, rival Wisconsin Oshkosh was three points short of winning this past season's Stag Bowl. And Whitewater beat the Titans by three earlier in the season. So they're still right at that level where they're a Stag Bowl competitor.
4: Keith, not penciling Mount Union in for any Stag Bowls, not erasing Whitewater out of any Stag Bowls either,
3: I see. I think I'm notoriously the one who believes in like eight to ten teams every playoffs, even even the years when it's clearly like a a Mountain Union and Whitewater year. In hindsight, I always fall for like the semifinalists. I'm like that team, man, uh, on the right day. You never know. I I think if if you look back over the history of picks, especially like in the quarterfinal and semifinal round, I'm definitely a sucker for for uh, for new teams. And and turns out uh, that's not really the way to go.
4: Question uh, from a reader on Twitter uh, at Chad jacoboski twenty two tying into something we talked about a little bit, but we can uh, go into a little bit more depth here just for a couple of minutes. Which is why doesn't D three get to have spring practice like D one and D two teams? And of course, you know the uh, initial part of it is that you know the NCA rules are actually made by NCA Division three members. So Division three members have voted twice uh, back at the uh, twenty sixteen convention. And at the, oh, is it 2015 convention or is it 20, it, anyway, twice in the last three years have voted down uh, the opportunity to have padded practices uh, for division three. And, you know, but it does seem like maybe there's an opportunity to reopen that conversation like we were talking about a little bit ago.
3: Well, first of all, if you're really interested in this topic, let the podcast play through and let last month's podcast start because yep. we, we really we really went into depth um, into into this topic last month. But, um, you know, there's a couple of ways to look at it. One is spring practice. There was a time when there was no spring practice in D3. You just had workouts, quote unquote. I know you can't see my fingers, but I'm doing that thing. (laughs) Workouts. Um, um, So on one hand, spring practice is an improvement. But on on the other hand, I think there's a certainly certainly a valuable argument for – a, wh- why would you have, why is something okay in one division, not okay in, the, in another division? Well, the answer to that question is that, that this is the way D3 wants it, that they don't ever want to let sports get so far afield that um, it dominates your time. And one of the, the, the big appeal for, for a student athlete, someone who has interests in some academic pursuits, some other on-campus pursuits, but still wants to play a sport in college is they're going to have time to do that other thing. And I feel like they, I feel like the fear is you, you open the door to more spring practice. Then all of a sudden you open the door to that time creeping in to a level where it starts to dominate. And I don't think that in 15 days, that's true at all. I think you, you, you can spare 15 days in the spring. I think the division three attitude pretty well permeates, uh, throughout the division to the point where stag bowl teams are taking the finals, the week of the stag bowl to where star players, uh, if they have a lab, a science lab that's only offered at night yep. and, you know, you you might have to leave practice at 540 and, and everyone else gets out at six, Te- you know, teams are willing to accommodate that. And that's not always the case. In fact, that's probably n- almost never the case at scholarship level football. So I, I do think there's enough intact in D3 where you could probably add uh, spring practice and let it be padded. Let it be full go. Um, without ruining sort of what everyone came here for um, but you know it, it's it's up to the the member schools to make those decisions and, and right now that's that's uh where we are is is what we've decided one other thing to keep in mind is uh, every three years uh schools
4: are permitted to take uh, an overseas trip uh, doesn't have to actually across the ocean uh more and more schools are going to canada recently or to mexico but point being uh in order to prepare for that you can get uh 10 practices in pads so if you do see occasional mentions of a a division three football spring game that is almost certainly what's going on if it's not then there's a, a significant issue and uh you know these days people pay attention to significant issues so uh that could be something that uh that that's going on as well um center college i know for example in kentucky is one of the ones that's uh that's doing that and typically i would say there's probably about four or five in any given year maybe even as many as 10
3: and and i feel like this was another kickoff feature last season ryan tips uh, may have written a story well he definitely wrote a story but there may have been in the story kind of a (laughs) correlation between um how well those teams who get that spring practice how well they do in the in the postseason that year i feel like maybe st thomas did it before one of their good years yeah and north central maybe again i'm I'm doing this off top and, I've, and i'm sure we've had these conversations but um but there is Wartburg maybe the year they were really good um there's definitely a, a correlation between having those extra practices and in postseason success you're able to do it every three years so that you know every
4: uh, college graduating class has an opportunity to do it at least once. Um, I think that St. Thomas did it before the 2012 and the 2015 season, and you can take a look at the list of who played in the Stag Bulls in those years. This was the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, number 169 for April 2017. Thanks for listening and keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the weeks ahead, especially around the NFL draft. If you like our podcast, please consider rating it in iTunes or wherever you consume or download your podcast because that will help other Division Three football fans and football fans in general find it. Thanks for following Division Three football on D3Football.com the executive producer of the around the nation podcast is pat coleman production assistance provided by dave McHugh. thanks to our guests greg smith larry kinbaum and kevin bullis and sports information directors chris mitchell and chris Lindecki for their time and assistance on this edition of our show and of course thanks to the creator of around the nation on d3football.com and my co-host keith mcmillan still in off-season podcast mode around here so you'll get a new show monthly from now through august so check back in to hear from division three football newsmakers every four weeks or so before we get back into our weekly podcasts for the 2017 season in this case the 2017 season being the final one which will end with the stag bowl in san Virginia.